1: Here is your host, Kathy. Hey, welcome to the Strictly Anonymous podcast with Kathy. If you want to follow the Strictly Anonymous podcast on Twitter, follow me at Strict Anonymous, both on Instagram and Twitter. Did I say that already? (laughs) If you're listening on a podcast app, make sure to subscribe to my show. I now post shows every Thursday, uh, every Sundays and Wednesdays. And every now and then you're going to get bonus episodes on Fridays. I have so many people calling in that I'm just trying to get all my episodes out there. If you want to be on the show, send me an email at strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com. You will only hear back from me if... I am interested in having you on. Please don't get insulted if you don't hear back from me. I've just been doing my show for so long that I've heard it all and at this point I really am just looking for certain specific crazy freaking stories. But don't please don't feel insulted if I don't get back to you. I just the reason would be probably that I've just heard your story before. <laughs> Um, so send me an email at strictly anonymous podcast at gmail.com. You will only hear back from me if I um am interested in having you on the show. Today I have on Lola Jean. Now Lola Jean is a sex educator. She's a dom she holds the world record in squirting. You won't even believe how much she could squirt in how many seconds. I can't tell you exactly cuz you're going to listen to the episode to find out, but it's like the world record, like it's that's her thing. She's not only th- did she get in the record, she did this publicly. She's an exhibitionist. She likes to be watched. She's into group sex and threesomes and she's been a unicorn and she's in a relationship and it's open and she has partners and she's tried poly and she talks about it all okay she's super smart she's very well spoken so let's just get to it i'll be right back on with lola jean
0: this is the strictly anonymous podcast
1: Uh, Hey, Lola Jean, welcome to the Strictly Anonymous podcast. How are you today? Yes, I'm not Strictly Anonymous, huh? No, you are not. And that's like one of my questions to you is like, you know, I I love that you're out there. You're who you are. You're a lot of things. Okay, like straight off your website. It's like (laughs) Lola Jean is a sex educator, a mental health professional, a wrestler, a dom, a world record holder for volume squirting. Now, this is how I think I found you because I talk on my podcast a lot. I don't talk much about myself, but what people know about me is that squirting is like at the top of my bucket list. It is something I've never been able to do. And I always talk about how jealous I am about people. And I think that's why somebody sent me your info, like, oh, my God, you have to talk to her. So I definitely want to get into your whole world record thing for squirting but to me my first question to you is like where did you get the balls to be lola jean
2: Yeah and i mean like you know none of it was immediate there was definitely yeah. a point in time where i was kind of dipping you know my toe toe into the lola jean waters but there was definitely a shift where there was a moment of like okay if i do this there is no going back we're yeah. going all in we're jumping in the deep end and it was so like rewarding it was like it was freeing to do so but then it was also like Rewarding by just being out there and loud within my career. I'm I'm a big believer that like we we lead ourselves with like shame or not. So it's how we choose to present ourselves. Because shame is just a projection. So if anyone has like, and I've dealt with this with my parents too. Of like, you know, if they have you know different feelings about what it is that I do, that's their opinion. I'm fine with what I do. It's more of you know their projection of like, well, why are you uncomfortable? with what I do for work or how I choose to present myself um but throughout throughout my life because when I was younger I I was I was a loner I went through a lot of periods where I just didn't really have friends Mm -hmm. and I wanted to challenge myself to be comfortable doing uncomfortable things so when I was like very young I'm gonna go to dinner alone. I'm going to go to the movies alone. I'm going to go to a concert alone. All of these things that people needed other people for. And it was really freeing to kind of like rebuke these like societal expectations. So I was already kind of accustomed to like, okay, well, if I kind of just jump in and I'm impulsive about it, then my anxiety isn't going to take a hold of everything that I'm doing. So it was, it was more my way of like coping with, anxiety this like impulsivity that became i don't want to say necessarily addictive but it was able to kind of get a hold on these different things that that ruled my life and with sexuality specifically this was more so of like taking a hold of it being single because I was, you know, waiting around for someone to pick me. Who's going to be my romantic partner? Who wants to commit to me for, you know, more than just sex? And those things didn't happen in like younger years or later years. So I took a lot of like a screw it attitude and just started engaging in things that I wanted to on my own that I was waiting for another person for. Mm -hmm. And that was true in like from like my first kiss to my first time having sex to my first threesome to like every, every first thing. Um, you know, I didn't want to wait for someone to pick me to go to the party. So it, it really started more in that way. And what kind of burned that to, I guess, both being a sex educator, but then also really exploring my own sexuality and discovering that I have two periods that I call my like sexual revolutions. Um, The first one was in my early 20s and this one was more of like, I'm going to try all of these things, but I didn't necessarily, you know, put my own needs first. It was Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to put myself in all these situations, but I'm not going to necessarily think about what do I want? What do I need? um, What am I getting out of this? So my second sexual revolution was uh, in my mid 20s. And that was also around the first time that I was at least aware that I squirted. I might have squirted before then, but it was after this where... The person that i had done that with he was the first person that i like had feelings for and it ended shortly thereafter and i was kind of left with like okay at this point i'm like 26 27 i've been waiting this long to find someone that like shares feelings with me and i lost that person now i'm like i'm not waiting any longer i'm just gonna do all of this stuff like screw relationships i'm going to figure this whole thing out Um, but this time I'm going to do it with my own pleasure in mind and making sure that like, I keep myself safe, that I don't burn out, um, especially emotionally. So, you know, it wasn't an overnight, you know, switch. Um, there was like a long process that led to this, but the foundation had been built when I was younger, um, by just being very self-sufficient and very, very like almost hyper independent. I'm, um, I'm, I'm counter, um, dependent which is the opposite of codependent. So I have trouble relying on other people instead yeah, yeah. of my world revolving around other people, um, you know, which sometimes serves me and, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I'm, I'm taking now of like a lot of how I've gotten to these places to create this school and write a book about confidence and power because I think we have this false perception of it, especially maybe when people see me and my image. Um, and it's really... You know, it's not all of these superficial things that make us confident and secure. It's kind of just understanding how everything in society is sort of a falsehood of how it's represented.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think that a lot of times people on the outside looking into people who you know are confident and powerful they think that you know there is a lack of fear and then the person that's watching them feels like oh you know because they're afraid of things that makes them weak no I think that the difference between a truly confident and powerful person is that they have fears too but they face them you did have anxiety you did have issues happening I mean it wasn't an easy childhood but instead of cowering down to the fears you faced them and you pushed yourself through it so that it wouldn't take over like that was like probably that little control part of you, right? It's saying like, I'm either, you know, I'm going to own myself. Like this fear isn't going to own me.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it's like, you know, it's not like every time that I jumped into the pool that it worked out. Yeah. Sometimes I jumped in the pool and I left crying Um, mm-hmm. and that's just mm-hmm. part of it. And then you, you go through that and you're like, okay, well, I survived. I handled it. It wasn't that fun, but it's like handling, like confidence is being comfortable or being able to survive. Discomfort and not letting that rule you. So the thing with anonymity is that I'm not going to let like, and my like a fear of being known um, that because that's seen as it's seen as kind of a shame for me. It's the reason why in a lot of any of my like visual representation, if I have like demo bottoms or things like, I don't allow math Where I understand it has to do with anonymity, but a lot of times that reads as shame. Yeah, and I, I I am not for promoting shame within this culture, and part of that is like leading with myself. And of course, there's, you know, there's certain things that I'll keep as private or intimate that I don't share with the public. And that's, I mean, honestly, that's for my own sanity is probably too. Um, but I have a warped sense of vulnerability that I'm working through a lot in therapy because there's things that I do on a regular basis that people think is the most vulnerable thing you could possibly do. And I'm like, whatever, it's yeah. my
1: vagina. Like, <laughs> right. What are some of those things?
2: I mean, I'm squirting in front of people, um, you know, being vulnerable and open about my sexuality, about my heartbreak, about the, you know, sex experiences gone wrong, about the romantic experiences gone wrong, um, about my depression, anxiety, all of like, these are things that are very vulnerable for people because it feels like admitting weakness. And there's something really freeing about admitting those things and being open and public about it.
1: And that is empowering, I'm sure, for you. And that's why you do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, part of part of it is that it's like
2: empowering for me. But I think like ultimately, like it's not that I'm trying to help people. I'm mm-hmm. trying to give people the tools so that we don't hurt people. Because I think a lot of times when we focus on like me, 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 other people can fall to the wayside. And that's part of the like, you know, this lack of superficial confidence. It's being confident without being an asshole. So the the, the goal is To give people tools so that we're able to explore ourselves, our needs, and what we need without compromising other people's well-being and safety.
1: Good news. Strictly Anonymous podcast is looking for people to call into the show. So if you lead an interesting, naughty, secret life that you want to talk about while remaining anonymous or not anonymous, if you're out and proud, that's cool too three, five, seven, nine. You could call that number 24 seven. I change all the voices on the confessions too. So you remain anonymous. The number, the website, and the email address will all be in the description. Right. But how how do you go from all of this to becoming a world record holder for squirting? And I mean, do they are you in like the books? Like is there a world record book that I could open up and there is a squirting section? Was there and was no, there someone before you that you beat out? There there was not. And that's why so I went to set
2: it. So like no matter what I was going to get the record because it hadn't been set, but I also oh. broke size in the process, so you know, you know it's a record. Um but Guinness doesn't do sexual records Um, Uh I I actually like applied to them did the whole hurrah and you know they they don't do that so uh, but like these things exist you just have to you know be able to record it in a fashion that's reputable so someone was asking me this for they were asking for recommendations on like most orgasms in an hour and I was like okay well a quick google search shows that for people with vulvas, it's like 140 orgasms in an hour, and they did it at, um, it looks like a, like an academic an academic function where, you know, they had something hooked up to someone so they could also measure the orgasm. So it has to be very, like, measurable. And yeah, yeah. in my case, like, it was measurable. So uh, I did it to get a standards with different stipulations about it's, like, by yourself, um, not using a partner, not using a toy, only your hand um and within like a 1 minute period so I did it to all these standards but I'm I am a competitive person there is a reason that I am a wrestler there's a reason that yeah. I do trash talk um I run a fan I co-manage a fantasy football league like I am a competitive person and I and I finally found outlets in my adulthood to be competitive where it's okay cuz like I'm not going to go to a trivia night and be super competitive but like I went to like an axe throwing thing and I'm like I'm going to be very competitive here um, so like I already have this nature but it was just something where I as I started engaging with other people and really honing in on like understanding my squirting and my body's superpowers I realized like okay it's it seems like I produce a lot larger of a volume than other people I'm aware I produce a large volume because I'm sitting in it um, but compared to other people and as I started um working as a sex educator and working with other scientists and educators, and that's where I, you know, started learning about the science that, oh, the max amount a person can squirt is, like, up to 950 milliliters. Uh-huh. And I'd never measured it, yeah. but I was like, I can probably crush that. Um, <laughs> that's a competitive so, part of you. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I had always, like, said that, and I think a friend of mine sort of gave me the idea, and that's when I applied to Guinness, and when they rejected me, I thought that was the end of it. And this person was just like, no, like, make a PR stunt out of it. Make an event around it. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, it's going to be big. I'm going to make a whole show and events around it. I want a crowd. I'm an exhibitionist. I also need the witnesses. I need the journalists. I need I need the, the, oh the stunt of it all. So that was how it came about. And, like, you know, I had been in classes and performances, like I've been squirting in front of people. um, And I've been doing it like I I performed at the box um, a few times before I did Uh this. And that's something to, you know, in front of hundreds of people doing something in a mass quantity to kind of shock people. So I wasn't a stranger to it before I engaged in it.
1: But wait a second, where does that event live does that is that still something that somebody could go see I mean you said you wanted to videotape it you had journalists I mean like is that something that you put out there could people watch that is it on Pornhub is it on your website that's the
2: question I get most often and people are like I just want to watch it for educational purposes I'm like it's not educational also like even sometimes people (laughs) ask for it like when they ask for a demonstration and so I'll do it more in, in person than like online classes. Yeah. Um, but when people ask for like a demonstration, I'm just like, you're not going to learn anything from it. You're just going to be shocked because I do it in about four seconds yeah. and I do a large quantity and people are like, what? I'm like, yeah, you didn't learn anything because this is the way my body works, which is, you know, very different from other people's bodies, especially yeah. with mine. Like squirting is the way my body expresses pleasure. For some other people, it might be more of a function of this type of stimulation causes squirting for me but for me like i'm like most kinds of stimulation cause squirting for me if i'm enjoying it and if i have a certain level of arousal and if i'm willing my body to do it um but this event so it was originally called the the kinky carnival we've rebranded to the cirque to squirt and (laughs) i like that we just did our second one in new york city um, in September and now it's, it's going to be a traveling circus, but the circus only happens once a year. Um, so next year it's going to be in LA, New York and London is currently what it's slated for. And it's, you know, it's one, one event once a year, I will do some sort of squirting performance. I'm probably not. I mean, so last time when I did my squirting performance, people were like, are you going to measure it? Are you going to reset the record? And I'm like, no, I just kind of want to have fun and enjoy myself. But like after I did that performance and I squirted so much, I was like, damn, I should have measured it
1: actually. <laughs> oh my God. And what else goes down at this carnival? Circus. So it's, I mean, it's, it is kind of
2: like a, a kinky carnival. There yeah. are a bunch of really weird games like pin the dildo in the butt. There's vibrator races. Um, there's upright the dildo. There's so, there's so many fun, weird games that kind of have a sexual twist. Mm -hmm. um it's not like a play party or a kink party everything is meant so that you can in like you can have a fun set activity that you can engage with I designed my event so that you can go alone and still have a fun time because you can play a lot of the games alone and there's a bunch of performances that you can watch so last last time we did it we had like nine different acts or sorry nine like nine different performances and three acts And, you know, some of them are sexual in nature. Some of them are more on like the carnival side in nature. But I really describe it as like a messed up carnival. Um, Really taking that kind of sideshow freak show, but just making it very fun and interactive.
1: And what what kind of venue do you use for like a club like in the city? Like where do you what's the venue and how many people have come to it in the past? Yeah. So, well, the first time we could, the maximum we could fit was 300 and we packed
2: it out. Yeah, I would <laughs> um, think so. And, but yeah, we, I mean, we go around looking for, you know, different venues and kind of altering it like based on the venue. So in New York, it's usually nightclubs, ideally mm-hmm. with some sort of outdoor portion. Yeah. Um, in LA, we might be doing it on a ranch. And in London, probably also in in a nightclub as well, because we have to have the stage area and then the rest of the area is just kind of for games and and watching the games, too. You don't have to play them. That's the beauty of it. Like I love. So I don't like playing video games, but I like to watch other people play video games. Mm -hmm. And that is like that's enjoyable to me. So I think like there's a lot of fun just in watching other people doing these silly, odd things and you don't have to really engage in them yourself.
1: When is your when is this going to be again? You sh- I'll definitely promote it on my show when it comes up. What well, I mean, I don't know. You probably don't need uh, promoting, but I'm sure my listeners are going to want to know. <laughs> when are you having yeah, your next well, one?
2: I haven't done many events in, in L.A., so that's the one I'm kind of more nervous about. Um, but I'm having discussions. We just started having discussions to secure locations uh, next year, but it'll be in, like, the, the summer and fall. So I think right now... LA might be in June. Um, New York will be in July or August, and then London will be in September or October.
1: Now, as far as squirting is concerned, I was a little depressed because recently I was talking to someone, and I, and but I think you just said the same thing. And she was like, you know, just because you squirt doesn't mean that it's like the best orgasm. She felt like when you know when she squirts, it's actually not that great, and doesn't always come at the same time that she's orgasm. I was always under the impression that oh my god if I could squirt it it is going to be also the most incredible orgasm I ever had and she was like no not for me it's not but I think like you had said before that for you it is but everyone's body is different and sometimes other women don't experience it that way correct?
2: Yeah. And I mean, you know, the first time that you squirt, because I describe it as like a release, like yeah. a lot of the times it may take an orgasm to do that or they're going to happen oh, concurrently. Right. But then as you get more in, depending on the body or depending on your body, um, like squirting isn't always an orgasm and both of them can happen independently of each other now the way that with my body functioning is that you know if i'm orgasming i'm probably squirting but if i'm squirting i'm probably not orgasming if that makes sense so i like to liken it to um field goals and touchdowns Uh so squirting is like field goals and orgasming is like touchdowns and you know they're all points at the end of the day you can win the game with field goals Um, and field goals are a lot easier to get, you know, you can kick them from really far. Uh, but sometimes you just want to score a touchdown and then you'll, 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 get the extra point afterwards. And sometimes you score the touchdown and you get to go for two. Um, so it's, they're just different types of points, essentially, you know, we're not trying to necessarily make sex and pleasure a game. Um, but I think that can be like, you know, it it can help us understand it kind of similar to like a prostate versus like a penile orgasm. Like they're both great. They're very different.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: but they don't, those ones don't usually happen together, whereas squirting and orgasming can. But I think this just comes from, I mean, a lot of times porn because that's, you know, how often are you going to actually get to see someone squirt in person? Um, and for, I mean, when everyone and anyone starts squirting and they're, like, wild about it, I'm like, talk to me in a couple of years because you're going to start hating it if it's something that you do regularly. Um, oh, there's really? that initial yeah. kind of, like, honeymoon period that I had it too in, like, my first year squirting because i was like oh my god my body can do this thing i know how to pull the trigger
0: yeah
2: other people seem to enjoy it because it's validating for their own egos i have this fun party trick um it's a lot easier for me to do than orgasm so it was something that i really like leaned on but i have a love-hate relationship with it and like really? one of my main quotes is that squirting is overrated i think for how much it's built up to be like it's not that great like yeah. I wouldn't give it up because of what it's taught me about my body and the the control it's given me over my pleasure
1: and, like, understanding of my body. But, man, I hate it sometimes.
2: <laughs> Very frustrating.
1: Because sometimes it can happen without you wanting it to happen. Is, is that the reason why you have that love-hate relationship, too? Because sometimes you just can't help it and you're squirting and you don't want to? Like, can Yeah, you hold like, it sometimes back?
2: I want to have an experience yeah. mm-hmm. and not worry about squirting. Yeah. So, like, you can... I, you know, I can pull the trigger. I can make myself squirt, but it's harder to stop myself from squirting. And once you, once you turn the faucet on, it's a little bit hard to, to turn it off. Um, but again, it's going to be for like, you know, with different bodies where some bodies only squirt in a certain way. It's not the same way for everyone. And some bodies like that's when they experience pleasure, this is how their body expresses themselves. And partially it's for like, you know, the mess of, I, there are ways that you can deal with the cleanup, but then having to have the mental capacity of like, okay, let's get the pad out. Have I used this pad up? Let's get the other one, um, and just and depending on where I am or if I'm prepared, like sometimes I just don't feel like doing it, um, yeah. or and dealing with that. And so um, I'm in the process with my community manager creating our our squirter partner handbook because one thing I've heard from a lot of people who squirt is like they have to do so much education and explaining to their partners and lovers and like I just want to take that burden off of them so like one of the biggest takeaways is like if you are with someone who may squirt or is a like reliable squirter just be like proactive about the cleanup process and the prep process and just don't have them being the only ones to worry about it and that is just I cannot tell you how helpful it is that my partner like proactively will get the pads and blankets out and will proactively change them And just, and never complains about the mess or any of that because he knows that I hate it too. Right. And you would be worrying more
1: about it if your partner wasn't even taking it into consideration. That's what you're saying. It sort of takes the burden off of you being 100% having to worry about it.
2: Right. And like, I mean, this one, this comparison is a little bit different, but I think of it like, for so much of my youth and now like i have to worry about if i'm having sex with someone with a penis of like are they going to just shove it in me or are they going to put a condom on before and i am so conscious of where their genitals are in relation to mine if we haven't had a condom on that that I can't even enjoy the experience. And that's kind of what it's like when I'm thinking about like if I'm being pleasured and there isn't like protection or stuff around and like even if I'm not sure if I'm going to squirt today, it's something very similar. So like this shouldn't all be on the onus of the person being penetrated or of the person doing the squirting.
1: Speaking of penetration and squirting has me thinking about the motor bunny. Do you know what the Motor Bunny is? It's a saddle style vibrator that's similar to the Sibian, but it's better because it's more affordable and it's more advanced. You could turn it up to eleven, okay? It rotates one way and then it goes another way, and then no other saddle toy does that, and not even a guy can do that, and no two hands could do that either. <laughs> Motor Bunny also has a remote control. So for all you long distance couples out there, imagine the power you will have over your partner when you turn up that volume to number 11 and get them off. Just go and Google it. You're gonna get horny just looking at it. That's what happened to me. Trust me, wait till you see it. Go to motorbunny.com right now to lock in their Black Friday deals. For this week only, you're gonna get $100 off Motor Bunny's most popular bundles, including the Motor Bunny Link bundle, as well as the Motor Bunny Starter Kit, which is only $7.99 and they have very limited quantities. So go get them now. You only have two days left. <laughs> They're also offering $150 off the Motor Bunny Buck. So go to Motor Bunny. Dot com now and take advantage of their Black Friday deals. There's a major supply and demand problem right now. You know about that, right? Okay. You need to get your presents early this year, or you're not going to have any presents. For, okay. So get your Motor Bunny now. After Black Friday, use my code strictly at MotorBunny.com for $60 off Motor Bunny Buck or Motor Bunny Original. Thanks, Motor Bunny, for sponsoring this episode. And so you're in a relationship now. I am. I'm in my first relationship. It's a big
2: deal. <laughs> yeah. No,
1: I know because you were talking earlier, and I was get and I was gonna say like because you know being super competitive and hyper confident and very into being independent, you know that would you have to really it would you're fishing out of a, a very small pond. I mean it really honestly it
2: really took going to sex and love addicts anonymous for me to kind of take this new approach to dating and like finding a partner and it it was something where it's like these are things about me that are like a part of me and important to me and like I need to find someone who like really likes those things about me and really likes the competitive aspect. And Mm -hmm. my partner's been very understanding that he knows this is my first relationship. He knows I have um, a lot of trouble being vulnerable and feeling my emotions and and all of that. And he's very patient about it too. Um, But I was lucky to find someone who, I mean, he's probably not as competitive as I am, but he really likes football. We like, we feel very lucky that we're two complete football nerds yes. um, in New York city of all places. Um, so there's like, there's a lot that we, that we can share too. But I, I think I, I'm really appreciative of his approach to my squirting because I like, he just lets me lead with how I'm feeling about it. And like, sometimes I love it and sometimes I hate it and he gets to love it and hate it with me um, and understand that it's just like a part of my body's process. And sometimes I get really ticked off at it.
1: Now, are you in an open relationship with him or, you know, what, how do you identify if you do?
2: Yeah, we we are in an open relationship Mm -hmm. and like it's, I mean, it's, since it's my first relationship, it's obviously my first open relationship and it's his first open relationship. So that's been a large learning process and, you know, with its like challenges and its ups and downs and like Mm -hmm. ultimately it forces us to communicate about things we might not otherwise have and really like grow from that too. And I'm kind of learning, like, I think there was a thought where I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm polyamorous. I never thought that. And then more recently I'm like, oh, I actually, I don't think I'm polyamorous. I think I (laughs) value my alone time way too much to have two emotional relationships, at least with someone who like lives in the same city as me. Um, But I, I was discussing this with a friend the other day. My main like beef with monogamy is not, it's not this, like, whole, like, one person to satisfy all of our needs thing. It's more of that, like, I have to abstain from sexual relationships with other people to prove how much I love you, and I'm committed to you. That seems like it's really out of fear, um, of, like, you know, how I I realize that I don't really get jealous, and, like, another way, I have severe abandonment issues, but how I've been able to really cope with that is kind of, like, a similar thing we were talking before about, like, the fear and shame. It's that, like, okay, well, if you're with other people and then you're still with me and you still feel the same about me and we have the same kind of relationship, then like, I just got to look my abandonment issues in the face oh, and give it a yeah. finger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get to confront that immediately, which is better than me just continually worrying of like, oh, is this person going to leave me? Do they really like me? Like able to do it in, in this capacity. But I was able to kind of practice that with like the casual relationships that I had prior, whether it was people in other relationships or you know submissives that are really into like cuckolding um you know which can be like a form of open relationship so i've been i've been able to be exposed to a lot of other types to see how i would feel about that but it's obviously different once you know you're in the relationship and then i have another person's feelings um and their insecurities and vulnerabilities to deal with as well
1: And so before you were in a relationship, were you doing threesomes with couples and stuff like that? I mean, is that, I know that you said you tried a lot of different things. I'm assuming that was one of them. Yeah. Like threesomes with
2: couples, like orgies, foursomes, threesomes with not couples, Yeah, um, dating people that were in relationships and not dating both of them. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I tried, I tried to, it's not that I was just kind of trying everything, but I was. As I was trying things, I'm like, what do I like? What do I not like? And yeah. I discovered of like, okay, I only like having threesomes with certain types of couples. Or I only like to do dating of people that are in relationships if they, you know, have this type of relationship um, or or whatever it may be. So it kind of took more trial and error um, and a lot of me feeling really dejected and rejected and then tossed aside to to figure these things out. And I talk about it a lot on social media in this like threesome series of like what I learned by having sex with couples yeah Um, and i'm actually going to there's this one couple that i I hook up with them and then i hook up with them individually too but they're getting married next year and i'm gonna go to their wedding and i'm gonna bring this is so it's so funny i'm bringing my my boyfriend to the couple i hooked up with wedding right
1: yeah yeah that's amazing (laughs) i love that i mean you don't get more Mm -hmm. involved than that
2: yeah, and I think the mistake a lot of people make, and honestly what I've encountered as like a single in, in other people's non-monogamy, is more of that like this calculated control. So like, okay, we're going to be open, but only under these guidelines and rules. And the rules are there to kind of like, not necessarily safeguard themselves, but protect themselves by preventing, by avoiding. And. I always say to people like think about what you can add to neutralize a bad feeling instead of avoid the bad feeling because if you avoid the bad feeling you're just avoiding it it's gonna it's gonna come up (laughs) like avoiding something just pushes it away further but if we can neutralize it you know we can find the antidote then you know it doesn't matter if that that feeling comes up or then we then, we begin to have control over that so I think people put a lot of control of like you can hook up with other people under these stipulations and I have veto power if it doesn't work for me and that just turns into like kind of manipulating and micromanaging our partners instead of seeing like okay if this thing comes up let's figure it out together like I started seeing another person and I started developing like not like necessarily like romantic feelings about them but like you know I cared about them as a partner Mm -hmm. and that was something Something that I didn't expect to happen, so I didn't really prepare my um, my boyfriend for it. But as it came up, it's like, well, let's like discuss it. Like I I didn't expect this either, but let's work through it together. Let's work through the uncomfortable feelings. Let's like you know see what we need to do. That's also considering this other person and their feelings too, because we can't just discard them because they're not in our relationship, right?
1: So what would you say to the person, you know, that's trying a threesome out? And, you know, because I find, you know, I've, I've talked to so many different people. I have over 400 episodes, a lot of couples that have done swinging or opening up their relationship successfully, some not so successfully, but a lot of times I do hear that in the beginning, you know, a lot of people start out with rules and regulations and that sort of brings up the conversations that people have and then eventually those fall by the wayside. But what would you say to the woman or the man who is in an open relationship and they're just starting out and they see their, you know, seeing their partner maybe kiss somebody is like a, is a boundary, like they don't want that, you know, that's too intimate. That's something that they you know, they want to create a rule, like, how would you say that they should sort of ease into that as opposed to move away from it or keep that as a, as a rule? Well, I think except for maybe
2: some scenarios, like somebody wanting to explore their sexuality, but wanting to do it with their partner, I think it's a lot easier to explore non-monogamy, like, separately than to try to have a threesome together. So ask yourself, like, why it is, that you want to either open a relationship and have a threesome. Uh-huh. And I think a lot of times people are like, I want to spice things up. Things have gotten stale. And i want." And like, there are plenty of easier ways where you can spice up your relationship but don't involve uh-huh. a third person that you can potentially hurt. Right. Um, and just like really exposing yourself to a lot. Like I talk about, um, I actually had someone else and myself, we talked about our first time at like a sex party and both of us thought we were going to have like a really grand time because we loved group sex and we were exhibitionists, and we both had a horrible time. And we're like, what happened? And we have, like, an identity crisis. So, like, you, you're you confronted with a lot in these situations, and you're not necessarily going to behave the way that you think you are. So, mm-hmm. you know, figure out why that is. And then I also encourage you, like, if you do want to have group sex or a threesome, especially if it's, like, involving one other person. Um, and Sam of Shrimp Teas made a post about this recently that I, I think is very true, but, like, there's no shame in hiring a sex worker. If you want a yeah. very specific thing and not to hurt someone, like then hire someone to be able to do this, um, instead of involving a third party that you're going to potentially hurt. I can't tell you how many times I've been the third person and like, you know, not being considered of like, okay, well, I don't know how I'm going to feel about my partner kissing someone. So you can't kiss the third person. Well, that kind of sucks for the third person if that's how they feel intimacy, Um, And like, you know, do they get a say or do they, are they aware of any of these boundaries? A lot of time it really is two versus one. It's this couple's privilege. And the third person going into it already has less power because they're outnumbered.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective that I've never heard and I've just never even considered, I have to say. A lot of times I'm talking to the couple or I'm talking, you know, but it's never that third person. Maybe you would be called the quote unquote unicorn at some point in your life where you were hooking up with couples. You were that third person and you felt shafted by those rules because it wasn't taking into consideration what you wanted. It was the rules for their couple and without consideration for you. There was no communicating with that third person, which was you. And that bothered you. Yeah, and I mean, I got into that at first, too. I was like, oh,
2: a couple's inviting me into their relationship. We yeah. have to protect their relationship yeah. at all costs. Their needs are more important yeah, than mine. Yeah, yeah. I will go along with it, make sure they don't feel threatened and all that. Yeah. And, like, that was a disservice not only to them but but to myself. And it kind of helped me realize that, like, the couples I really enjoy hooking up with are, it's kind of the same thing of individuals I enjoy hooking up with. It's someone that I, at least, I want to maintain some sort of relationship afterwards, whether it's sexual or not or a friendship. So the couples I most enjoy are the couples that I'm going to be like, let's hang out and not have sex. Um, I'll enjoy either one immensely. Mm -hmm. And that also kind of, it it made the kind of communication that I wanted. It was kind of made us feel more like a team. So I didn't have to worry about anyone's jealousy about anyone ghosting me um, or, or not having the golf, like have a conversation with me
1: too. Right. So, right, you show up and it's like they've already had the conversation about what's going to go down, but you're not in the know. And then maybe you're blindsided and that doesn't make yeah. you feel good. And, you know, there's some asterisk to that, I think, especially if you're like planning a threesome via an, an app or
2: someone you meet somewhere. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you go to a sex party or like a, a lifestyle or a resort or something like that, these are places that are more conducive and open to really more like casual fun Uh um and especially if if you do go to these as a single like these are places where I can more engage with like more random people or that I haven't had a lot of as much negotiation and conversation with because I'm gonna they're gonna be people I know there so if you don't give me aftercare after whatever it is that we engage in my friends over there. And like, I can go chat with them and and cuddle with them or something like that. So, you know, there's, there's still other solutions. If you're like, you know, figure out what your hangups are. If you don't want to hire a sex worker, if you have qualms of like spending money or, or something of that nature, but it really is going to complicate things less. And, you know, this person's also probably been there before as well too. And they're just dedicated to you having a good time. You don't really have to worry about, their like enjoyment or not because it's you know i mean they might but they might not they probably enjoy their job but like this is also you know their job they're professional
1: right it's a little bit more transactional but that could work in certain situations for sure and now you said that you loved group sex you were into it i mean you but the first time you was it the first time that you went to that group sex party that you you said you had like the worst time like how come um so that, that was also a process, because it was actually the, the first
2: two times, and then there were still some other times where I, like, cried and left, or I cried and, like, a friend came over, consoled me, and then I left. Um, but it was, it, was it, it really depended on the party and kind of figuring that out, and then also, like, if I know anyone else there, or if I go alone. Like, when you go to any party, it's going to be easier if you have someone else there, even if it's a friend or a couple of friends or a partner or, or whatever it is. Um, but especially, you know, having not been in a romantic relationship and having felt like I needed someone to engage in all of these things, going to a party that was very couple-centered or like couples and unicorns and Mm -hmm. things like that, that ended up being very triggering for me if I was like trying, things weren't working out, and I'm just presented with all these people, these couples that are engaging and having the time that they want to have, and I'm still reliant on a couple or another person that was just very triggering and upsetting for me and my history. Right. Um, and like, you know, for other people, it might be another reason that like these parties are very confronting and you realize a lot of stuff. You're like, Oh, okay. Well, that's an issue I didn't know about. Um, which I think is great. And I think it's helpful to be able to work through, but I was able to deduce like what kind of parties that I feel safe and comfortable at to hang out. And also more importantly, like what parties am I going to have fun at if I don't have sex? Because I, I would say like for the most part, I don't have sex at sex parties. like, the majority of the ones that I've been to. So like, which ones am I going to have fun at? And if sex happens, great, wonderful. If it doesn't also fine.
1: Right. Oh, that's interesting. And now did you meet your guy in the lifestyle? Well, so I met him on an
2: app called field, um, that I'm actually an ambassador of, which I, I loved, honestly, Pretty much anyone I have ever dated or had group play with, if it wasn't at a party, was through this app. And I really like it just because it puts, like, sexuality at the forefront of the conversation. So Mm -hmm. if you're not able to engage with, like, the conversation about sexuality like an adult um, or, like, you know, if you proposition me, like, the first message and you can't just, you know, have a conversation, that becomes a lot more evident there than it would on another app. Um, so I met my, my boyfriend there and I think like, he's a pretty vanilla person. I think he was like in a little bit of exploration towards the tail end of it when I met him. Mm -hmm. Um, so he wasn't really like, you know, in, in the lifestyle or whatever we're going to call it. Um, but I met him there. Um, and also it's like, I find people are more accepting of like, you know, my, my job, um, my practices, my clients, like different things that I'm going to engage in that might be difficult for, for someone else to accept. Um but I've, I met him there. I met the other person that I'm currently seeing there. That's where I met the couple whose wedding I'm going to. Like I've met so many like wonderful, like friends turned colleagues, lovers, boyfriends. Like I've met so many amazing
1: people on that app. Um, and you know, I've Fields? met a lot of horrible people there. Fields? Yeah. L D. Right. And like, what's their yeah. tagline? Is it really about open relationships? Is it a threesome app? Uh, you know, how do they So initially initially it was a threesome app. When I started using it, it was like really geared towards threesomes. And I say that's
2: probably a lot at the core of it because you can be on the app as a couple or as a single or or a little mix of both. Um, but it's really like apps for for people who don't fit into like one specific mold. So I think it's a really great app too for people who are gender non conforming, who are trans or queer. Like there's so many different options to say like what gender do you identify as? Yeah. What sexuality do you identify as? And you can change those things. And and also, like, what are you open to dating? And you get to choose all of those as well. So, like, right off the bat, um, there's just so many more queer people on there, and especially in regards to, like, Men specifically, queer men make me more comfortable mm-hmm. uh, than, you know, cis or straight men do. Yeah. So, and, and that has to do a lot with like, you know, rebuking societal expectations and standards. Um, but it it can be anything, honestly. Like you can be vanilla and use that app. You don't have to be experienced and use that. It's more of, it's, it's, it's a sex positive app. And sex positive doesn't mean I like sex. Sex positive means the way that anyone chooses to express and engage in their sexuality in their kink in their relationship is good and fine and healthy as long as it is like risk
1: aware as long as it is consensual as long as it is safe yeah and so your guy because you said your guy was vanilla kind of right he was just starting to explore and he was on that app and found you now were you Lola Jean on there like he you know they you had was there some place on there that talked about all the things that you did or did you have to sit across from him and reveal exactly what you were into and what you do and all that kind of stuff
2: yeah the way I like to put it to people is like you know I say here's who I am here's what I do and then like here's about me and what I'm looking for the people I like or like here's why like here's the reason you might not like me. Mm-hmm. And that off the bat gives people like, you know, if they want to immediately start talking to me about my job and giving me like an interview or trying to get advice, yeah. probably not the person for me. Cause I want someone who treats me like a person. And yeah. I always tell the people I date like, I want you to get, to, I want you to get to know me before you get to know my persona. Uh-huh.
0: Um,
2: Cause I don't want to talk about all that stuff off the bat, but it's something that like, you know, my job's very important to me and it's a large part of my life. So I yeah. do Talk about it a lot, um, but it's really of instead of trying to like impress people, I'm just talking to people and seeing what what they reveal to me. What are they trying to tell me? I got like after Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, I got really deep on like what are the qualities that I need and I'm looking for, and what are situations where I'm trying to like force it because I'm attracted to them, or because they have this great sense of humor, or because they're into this kink that I'm into. Um, so I stopped really trying to force it and like these are the qualities that are important to me. If they don't embody this, this isn't a person that I should engage in. And I just shouldn't ask any questions after that. Um, But I I present my, I mean, like, you know, obviously like this is my, you know, partially my persona, but partially my identity. Um, But I do gate that as well of like the personal details about me. I don't give that right away or at all. Like that is after a while. People will ask me, they'll be like, oh, is Lowell your real name? I'm like, no. They're like, well, what is it? And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you. Right. (laughs) that's like that's what's now personal and private information or like people ask like where i grew up or something like that um so it's more of like you know getting to know individuals um than maybe a traditional like you know bumble or tinder game of you know like 20 questions
1: yeah no and i ask because i you know i'm always talking to a lot of people who have kinks and fetishes but they are afraid to tell their partner you know, they're in a relationship like, you know, and I've had a lot of people like you who are in relationships and they're totally out with their kinks and their fetishes and their partner is fine with it. And what I, a lot of times it's because they, they went into their relationship fully like, this is who I am, you know, take it or leave it. But you know, I didn't know when you put that on the table with your guy and what would you say to somebody else that maybe has kinks and fetishes and are, you know, afraid to tell their partner.
2: Well, I mean, one thing is a thing that was really important to me that might be important to other people is mm-hmm. like I wanted someone who was able to have difficult conversations um, and was able to have conflict conversations because if they're able to do that, then we're able to talk about anything. Then they're able to like if they're uncomfortable with something or something's, you know, making them upset, they can talk to me about it instead of letting that fester because a lot of the time maybe they think of. Oh, she has this fetish and kink. If I can't satisfy it, she's gonna be yeah. unsatisfied in our relationship. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, actually that's like it's like that's a fetish I have, but I don't have to engage in it to find enjoyment because there's a lot of misconception that, you know, a fetish is something we require in order to orgasm. But right. that's a very limited definition of that. Um and so like I I don't mind like, you know, a little bit of education depending on what it is. I'm not gonna like, you know, be someone's like, you know, intro level Dom and help them figure all of that out without a little bit of like help from them. Um, but I was open, like, I want people to like ask questions and not take things at face value. It's kind of how I chose my therapist too. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want her to take things at face value. I want her to understand it's all dynamic and like changing. Um, but I think of if, if you are scared of telling a partner about, one of your desires, ask yourself why that is. Um, And a lot of this has to do with shame of, you know, is it shame that's coming from yourself? Is it coming from society? Or is it coming from this other person? Because it also, if it it ever, even if you reveal it and it does come from that other person, that is still a projection. That is still their feelings Mm -hmm. around whatever this thing is you reveal to them and not Mm -hmm. about you. Even if they're like, well, I can't look at you the same now that I know you like to be peed on. It's like, well, that's you. That, and, like, what, what is your relationship with, like, you know, a golden shower? You don't have to do it with me. I reveal to you that I like this thing, but you don't have to do that. And we need to kind of divorce ourselves that our partners need to validate our kinks mm. for them to be valid for us. Right. Um, they're valid, like, you know, something is still an interest whether our partner likes it or chooses to engage with it or not. They just They don't have to do it with us just because someone loves us and cares about us doesn't mean that they have to pee on us you know that's that's totally within their right um i one of my fetishes is holding my partner's penis while he pees or or watching him pee and he does not like that and i respect that he knows i really want it he knows i want to do it um but it kind of creeps him out a little bit (laughs) so like so i don't engage in that with him he knows that like the minute he's like i want to do this i am so down um but like that's that that's just like another part of it. But then also you're gonna have to ask yourself if this is this canker fetish or desire, is this something that's integral to your relationships, whether they be sexual or romantic? Because yeah. if the answer is yes, these are things that you need to determine up front so you don't get to this place where you're like, oh man, I invested all this time and, you know, you don't want to do anal. And that's like part of my identity. Right. So if that is a part, whether, you know, it's more of a like you know, submissive or kink thing, or it's more of like a, a sex party or open relationship thing, you need to get on the same page of that in the beginning. And it could either be this person has to be on board, or this person has to be open to it, um, or open to having like the conversation. Because they, you know, some people need education and time and curiosity, and they need to be able to sexualize it for themselves. But those are, those are the main things as well as, um, you know, sometimes we're going to need to explain of like, here's why this is important to me. Here's why I find this attractive. Um, because like, that's one thing that I do to normalize and humanize a lot of kinks. If someone really likes, you know, if they like orgasm denial and they like chastity and like, why, why is it that you like that? And, you know, I've had a submissive tell me, like, I just like feeling really desperate, like I will do anything. I like feeling in a desperation mode. I'm like, well, that's kind of fun. I can play with that. I understand that. Mm -hmm. Versus just thinking of, okay, you don't want to orgasm ever. I'm just preventing you from pleasure. And it's like, no, no, it's the desperation thing that does it for me, not the prevention of pleasure thing. Um, So when we hear our partner's reasoning for things, that can really help us gain a better understanding.
1: Right. And so when you put your things out there, I mean, what are your kinks? I, I see like on when I did a little deep dive on you, you know, that you have some videos about choking and pegging and you've done this squirting thing and you're a dom. So you're into BDSM. I mean, that kind of stuff. When you put that on the table with your guy, how did he feel about those things? Or were, were, are those things that first of all, I don't know if those are your kinks, but, you know, is that stuff that you talked to him about in the beginning? Yeah, I mean, actually, the funny thing is when I met him on the app, I was in, I was
2: in L.A., and I I just thought he was in L.A., yeah. um, but I guess we had matched beforehand, he was in New York, but I was doing a pegging class, and my model had dropped out, and I was, like, looking for someone that I could, like, you know, finger the butthole of or something in uh-huh. front of people, and he had initially agreed to it, but I don't think he understood what I was asking, and I explained it, and he's like, oh, yeah, absolutely not, and then I was like, oh, also, I'm not in L.A., um, <laughs> and like Lord knows why he agreed to that. Cause he would never do butt stuff. Yeah. Um, for like, you know, a lot of personal, personal reasons and like bathroom reasons. Um, but <laughs> that, that was initially how it had come up. So, you know, a lot of my interests, and then one of the other funny interests is on my profile. One of my interests is otters. Is and what? he thought that I meant like otters. What's that? O T T E R S? otters. So, otters? Yeah, so he thought I meant like the animal. He's yeah. like, "Oh my god, I love otters. They're the best." Uh-huh. I meant in like the gay sense of like I like small hairy men.
1: Uh- <laughs> oh. That's an otter so in were, the gay community. That's what they call it.
2: Exactly. Yeah, but you know how there's like bears and yeah, yeah, yeah. And,
1: and things like that. Yeah. Oh, there's
2: otters. Um, he's kind of, he's kind of a, Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, you know, there there are a couple like misunderstandings there, but you know, it was something that I put out there. And I always say to people about like, you know, pegging something I really enjoy, but I don't have to do this with everyone. Like a lot of the things that I do with a dom, like that's more dependent on the submissive. There's things that I like as a dom and things that I don't like as a dom, but that doesn't mean that I have to be a dom with everyone else. Um, and I have a bit of like a switchy bratty side as well. Um, and, you know, liking to be more of like you know, a damsel and struggling and like kidnap fantasies and things like that. Um, but I mean, these are not things that he wasn't really comfortable with and yeah. who knows if he will in the future, but that I had decided previously that like kink isn't an integral part of my romantic or sexual relationships. I right. just want to be able to engage with it in some way, whether that's professionally or in like an outside relationship. Um, and like, you know, there's some that I keep, Um, some of which are sexual, some of which are not sexual at all as well, like kind of around the world. So I'm always able to engage in it in some capacity. Um, And I I think I'm learning too a lot of the times in romantic relationships, at least for me, like it can, unless there's an established identity, it can be really tough bringing a kink dynamic into it when that's not something that feels natural to both parties, especially because, you know, I'm already an educator and a teacher and like, it's going to feel a lot of me teaching and controlling, um, and, and that can be really like, tough for someone as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that's what—that's you know, those people that have these kinks, or, and they're not telling their partner. And then a lot of times, I you know, because their their biggest fear, and I think it does happen a lot, is that partner like if they're not into it, they're kind of like their biggest worry is going to be, well, then how am I going to please you if this is what you need? But like you said, it's not that you know everyone. It's not sometimes it's not an integral part of your intimacy. So if it it, but for some people that it is, then that might be a deal breaker.
2: Right. Or in other cases, it's like, okay, you really want to be you want to be peed on. I don't want to pee on you. Like, can I pick out the person who pees on you and you do it and come tell me about it? Right. Um, Or like, is there you know, I always say like involve yourself in it in some way, even if you're not the one actually doing it. So like, you know, one of one of my partners really likes like skull fucking and that is a big no for me. But it's like, okay, well, what if I, you know, sent you to go do that, or I pick someone else to go do that for you, or like, you know, I'm still involved in it, I'm still centering myself in it, but I'm not actually doing the experience. So there's plenty of ways that you can get really, really creative with kink, um, where you don't have to do the actual thing yourself. Because some people, maybe they're like, I want to do bathroom play, but I don't want my wife to do it, because I don't want to, you know, look at her in that way. And it's like, that's fine. You can, like, you know, that like, there's plenty of reasons why you wouldn't want it to be your partner to engage in something either. Um, but, I mean, that's, like, the more integral something is, the earlier you share it. And a lot of times when I share the kinks or fetishes that I have, I don't put any pressure on my person to engage with it or mm-hmm. to like it. because. They haven't had the time that I've had to sexualize these things and discover these things. I've just told them about it. Um, so they need to have that time to think on it and stew on it. And it's not me just asking them, Hey, are you going to fulfill this thing or not? Are you going to do this? I'm just sharing. This is a thing that I'm into. I am sharing it with you because I want to share it with you. There's no pressure to do it. Um, We can talk about it again if you want. You can ask questions if you want. And that puts a lot more of the ball in their court and puts them under a lot less pressure or feeling like I have to do this to keep this relationship alive.
1: Now, do you help people with this kind of thing? I mean, you say you're a mental health professional. Is that what you do? Do you offer services to people that are out there that would maybe want to talk to you and you could help them, you know, with all the things that you're talking about now? Yeah, I mean, in my mental health job, that's
2: more. I'm a medical technician um, oh, okay. that I do services that uh, help treat people with um, OCD, PTSD, depression, anxiety. Um, but in this respect, so I don't do like a lot of traditional, like you know, coaching. Coaching yeah. where I mm-hmm. see people multiple times, but I yeah. do offer these kind of like band aid coaching. So on Fridays, I do like 30 minute coaching that basically is you know, you have a knot, I'm going to unravel it a little and I'm going to give you homework and then send you somewhere else to help to start untying that knot, whether it's a different coach, whether it's therapy. Um, So this has been for things from kink to non-monogamy to, you know, sexual dysfunction, like lots of different things where I think people just need someone to point them in the right direction. And sometimes, you know, like, I'll be able to help people give them the validation or unravel whatever there, whatever it is that
1: they need. But usually I'm just pointing them in the right direction and giving them resources. Right. And you do that on Fridays. How would somebody be able to find you or, or, you know, show up there on a Friday or, you know, to have that phone call with.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all virtual. Um, it's on my website, lologene.com. Um, I think if you go into, the about section you can find the Friday coaching and there's just different slots that you can choose from it's um $75 for 30 minutes so you know very affordable but also like very short not a big time commitment um you know if you feel the need to meet with me again then we can do that but coaching is it's like I like it but it's not like my love and passion it's not where I I like creating classes experience and environments for Mm -hmm. many many people to engage um so like the individualized experience is, you know, I have a lot of colleagues that are wonderful at this and like it a lot more than I do. So mm-hmm. I usually will defer out to them based on, you know, whatever, like if you have a non-monogamy thing, I'll send you to Baron Fifi. Um, if you have more of like a shame route, maybe I'll send you to my friend Val. Like I, I have a lot of people, whether they are therapists or coaches, um, mm-hmm. that I can send people to, to for, for help with these. And sometimes it's things where I'm like, I
1: am not an expert in this, but I know someone who is. Yeah, but that's great. I mean, that's why I think that that thirty-minute mm-hmm. call with you is great because you you you're you're in that world. You know the right people. I mean, and that's what it's always about. It would take someone a long time to probably find the right person for their you know their specific needs. And they could also find out about your classes on your website. I mean, where do you are your classes virtual? Yeah, there's. I mean- I- yeah,
2: pretty much all of my classes are virtual now. Mm-hmm. And, and if they're not, I'm transitioning them to that. Yeah. Um, I'm working on getting a new platform. Because basically, I, the video class platform I had was originally supposed to be just a couple. Yeah. But now I have so many. Um, so I'm working on moving to a new platform. But you can still find them at lologene.com slash Um There's a bunch of class recordings from the threesome series to doming to verbal domination. Um, And kind of to your point before too, I think with the, with the coaching, I think a lot of people think, but my problem is very specific and individualized with the way this is with me and my partner. And, you know, they'll come to me and I'll be like, okay, I've heard this one before. Here's what I'm hearing. Um, And like, that's what it is. Sometimes you just need another perspective to unravel it in that way. Um, But a, a lot of times I will direct people to my classes of like, I talked about this thing for two hours and I talked about a lot of different, you know, scenarios that you might identify with or different, you know, practices. Um, I do have a couple of free classes that you can access on the same link. Um, I believe the consent in conversation and dirty talk is one of the free ones as well as awakening libidos um, and some masturbation tracks as well for people with vulvas and, and one coming up for people with penises too. So. There's, you know, I, there's a, a smattering of free offerings, a lot of affordable offerings. And then I have some more high end
1: video classes that do a deep dive on a couple of topics um, that are out as well. And then people could also, I'm assuming, get on to uh, email list so that when your carnival is, you know, touring. Yeah. <laughs> circus carnival. I keep calling it carnival. I think what was the name of the circus you said? I thought it was a great name. Uh, the, the Cirque du Squirt. So it's yeah. like Cirque
2: du Soleil, but a lot wetter.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So they'll be able to be in the know when that happens. Quick question about, you know, because I feel like I didn't ask enough questions about your volume squirting. How much was it? How much did you squirt in that four seconds that was the world record? Well, (laughs) so four seconds is what I need to start squirting. Yeah. Um, But it was, I squirted 1,250 milliliters in 25 seconds. So uh, t- give me a visual of that. Is that like one, like, you know, like in maybe a water bottle th- visual? Like, I mean, how much is that?
2: Um, so that's, it's 1.25 liters. So that's about like five
1: and a quarter cups. Wow. In 25 yeah. seconds? Yeah. How did you do that? I mean, is there is there a method to to that? Or is that just, you just realize, oh, my body just produces so much? I mean, what? how does that happen i mean like i'll make sure i'm hydrated in the
2: days leading up to it um i make sure that there's like a certain level of arousal but it's really just like the mind vulva connection and also that it's that like my body my body both produces that much and also i'm capable of doing it on command as well um, so it was something where, when I was like kind of practicing it before, um, with my friend Tiana, I was just like, should, I was like, okay, well, should I just space it out over a minute or should I just do it as fast as I can? Yeah. They're like, ah, eh, do it as fast as you can. It's more impressive that way. I was like, okay. Very um, impressive. and I think like <laughs> when I did a, a practice round, I think I got like 900 milliliters in like 30 seconds and like, I wasn't really prepped or anything. I wasn't like preparing. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have like, you know, my before I did my performance, I kind of like, you know, masturbated a little bit before I went on stage. So I was like, basically like ready to pop yeah. Um, for a performance pretty much. But a lot of like, you know, the hype and adrenaline definitely factors into it, but it's just something like once I get going, I can like, that's, that's my thing. I can produce a lot, a lot of volume and liquid. Um, and that's something that's been consistent
1: really for the past like six or five years since I've been reliably squirting. Yeah, well, I mean, because I think twenty five seconds is not really that long, yeah. and if you are getting five and a half cups, that's unbelievable. Yeah, and, and I do
2: it without penetrating myself and without orgasming. To I mean, that's how I do it anyway, but it's also kind of
1: to prove a point. <laughs> so, meaning you just do it with your hands, or what do you? Yeah, mean with without? my hand, like
2: externally. I just I rub my clitoris. I don't put uh-huh. my hand inside of my vagina.
1: So you don't even have to hit that G spot. You could just just like no. Interesting. Is that how it always was? Or did you work towards that? Yeah, no, the first the first time
2: I, or the first time at least I was aware that I squirted was when someone was going down on me, so yeah. there was nothing inside of me.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: but, like, there's plenty of ways where we can engage in our G-spot that isn't manually. And for a lot of people, that area is really sensitive because it's a bunch of erectile tissue and it's this, like, central part of our internal clitoris. So, like, having... Hand stimulation there can that can be a bit too much. Yeah. Um. Especially because like it's mostly the engorgement of the G spot that you need, and not the actual stimulation. Uh-huh. Um. For the actual stimulation to expel it, just has to be something you like. Um. So I'm able to like engage with my pelvic floor muscles that surround. I mean, both the, the clitoris, the vagina, but then also like, I mean, our pelvic floor does everything. It's pretty important, um, but you can engage with it that way via your muscles. And then you just do something that you really like, which for me is like, you know, externally kind of on the shaft of my clitoris.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, wow, and so that's how you did it
1: hmm for the world.
2: I've done I have been there's been like a couple times in my life just from pure boredom and curiosity <laughs> where I have been able to squirt without touching myself and, and it hasn't been that much it's just been a little bit um but like it was yeah just using my muscle groups and like engaging with my body I have been able to do it without any stimulation at all
1: yeah that's amazing I'm going to put all your mm-hmm. legs people are going to be going googling for you right now I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, i'll put all your links you know you i'll put a link to your website anything else just email it to me so people could check you out you're amazing uh let me know Thank when you. you are doing your circus so squared I, I can't get the name straight but it's such a great fucking name i'll definitely uh, tell people on my show because i <laughs> think it's great i'm in new york city i'll tell my friends um but good luck with amazing everything. yeah so, come to the next one how long have you been dating your guy for
2: we we made it official, actually, like, in the beginning of the pandemic, so I guess it's been a bit over a year and a half. Um, the funny part of it is that, like, we were, like, loosely seeing each other before the pandemic, yeah. and then once the pandemic hit, I was like, you know, what's going on with us? What are we? Can I call you my boyfriend? Uh, and we didn't see each other for, the fir- for like, the first month and a half that we were dating because he's like, we can't see each other until this pandemic is over, and I was yeah. like, okay uh you know it turns out it's never over yeah. uh so hmm. he like caved like I think a month and a half in but like it was the first like
1: month or two of our relationship like we were a straight zoom yeah that's interesting and I feel like you know yeah. a relationship that had like a one in a, a year in a pandemic I mean what does that equal to like a regular <laughs> year do you know what I, mean? I think it's more you know, I like, know it's like, it's like- that's longer yeah. that says pandemic like, years longer. yeah like what is pandemic years so i mean it feels i feel like you've stood the test of the time right I, if you could get through that yeah in a couple so congrats on your relationship thanks so much for calling Thank in you. you're fascinating there's like a million more things i could have talked to you about but we just have an hour so you know i'd love to have you back on maybe one day i'll do like a and a sure. with my audience because i feel like they'd have a million questions for you um but i'll definitely put your probably links in. thanks so much for calling in Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. If you want to follow the show, follow me at Strict Anonymous on Instagram or Twitter. That's at Strict Anonymous.